One night in 1971 on a lonely North Carolina highway, a head-on car crash cost a young driver his family and very nearly his life. His doctors were sure he would never move again, but he triumphed over his disability and went on to become the wildest hero of all. Because he's real. Stanley presents The Human Fly. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 89, Death Rides the Big Balloons, Human Fly, issue number 14, October 1978. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Marvel's Cosmic Comics presented by the Comic Book Time Machine. And if you're listening to this feed, that means you are listening to the uh, coverage month by month and issue by issue. And each issue gets its own episode. If you're listening on the main feed, you're not actually going to hear this welcome, so it doesn't matter anyway. But on the main feed, we do put what I call omnibus uh, episodes that are all of that month's uh, books in in one episode. And you also, on the main feed, get a lot of extra um, episodes covering other comic book materials by uh, episodes by me and my co-hosts, Matt and Daniel. So... This feed here is dedicated to Marvel's Cosmic Comics, which are comic books that were published by Marvel and that were licensed and fall into a um, basically a a loose, loosely defined sci fi and fantasy um, genre. And so for this one, we are looking at the human fly. So issue number 14. Human fly cover has human fly falling from a blimp two children are in the blimp looking at him fall toward his doom in the cityscape below and then there's some other blimps behind them that is you know coming coming toward them and it says fear over fifth avenue so we we know exactly what we're getting into it's human fly there's blimps and the city of new york so does it deliver on the cover's promise well we'll we'll get into that uh because that's what we do here on marvel's cosmic comics the comic book time machine we we go back in time we buy these comics off the shelf now i'm not buying because of the cover i'm buying because it it's what i do (laughs) but um this cover would probably not have caused me to uh to pick up the book outside of the framework of collecting them all now, in inside we have uh, the story is by uh, Bill Mantlo, which is the whole way through. Uh, we have Frank Robbins as well as the penciler, and the inker is Frank Springer, and the letterer Rick L. Parker, and the colorist is Don Warfield. And indeed, <laughs> this uh, this this uh, opening splash page explains everything. Um, Human Fly is boarding a blimp uh, on a rope ladder. And the blimp has a banner on it that says human fly. 
while there are two kids who are pointed out by a caption box with an arrow that sticks out of it, um, who are getting onto another blimp that says fund for the handicapped. And uh, one of the people says, look, there's human fly boarding his flagship. This stunt has the makings of history. But the caption pointing at these children says, or of tragedy expected by none. <laughs> and the title, Death Rides the Big Balloons. Because <laughs> death, death's an adult now. Death wouldn't ride the little balloons. Death would ride the big ones because it's a big boy. And... Yeah, so <laughs> I, I have to say, sometimes the human fly gets me, and sometimes the human fly doesn't, and sometimes I wonder if I get the human fly. But um, yeah, it's <laughs> well. Let let's get into the story, I guess. Um, the story starts out with, like I said, that's that's splash page, but then it also gets into um the the setup of of the thing and so you open it up and there's actually a double page splash uh sort of it's it's two thirds the top two thirds of two pages uh and a double page splash of all of the balloons uh the blimps rather uh, that are getting ready for what i think is a, a race um it introduces all the other balloons and i think oh we're in for like another uh wacky races like we did with the race cars in issue number two or three or whatever that was but uh, we actually then leave them as interesting as they look and as uh, colorful as some of the characters just in single dialogue balloons uh, look like they might be, we're not coming back to them. We are leaving them completely because we're going to follow Human Fly. We're going to follow those two children. And so we're going to leave those other balloons for the actual story. And what is the actual story? Well, it just wouldn't be a Human Fly story without some child endangerment, right? Uh, you see, we've got Paul and we've got Marissa. And those are the two children who stowed away on that, un well, we don't know it was unpiloted, but it's an unpiloted drone blimp that is going to be used by the human fly for his latest stunt, which when he finishes the stunt will mark the beginning of the blimp race. So when he finishes the stunt, that's at like the starter's pistol kind of thing. From what I could figure out, I believe that they say it directly, but it was just kind of a little convoluted. Anyway. Uh, this also wouldn't be a human fly story if the children didn't have some sort of disability. And in this case, it's a disability that actually directly affects the action of the story because when things start going wrong, they aren't able to just pick up the, the radio handset and tell anyone anything. Uh, also, they cause the things that go wrong. Now, they do it accidentally. They don't do it intentionally. They do it because they have brought aboard a transistor radio. And here we have, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things that this issue says, but if, if there's one thing to take away from it, uh, it's that um, having your electronics on during takeoff and descent can indeed cause electric interference. They are not lying when they tell you to turn off everything on an airplane because it really messes things up here. It's really the case here. So the blimps are going and human fly, he begins to do the actual walk and he, he's walking across a tightrope between the blimp that's piloted by one of his team, uh, Blaze, and the unpiloted drone blimp, which is also being controlled by Blaze. And so she's making sure that everything is done correctly. She's able to watch both blimps and she's able to make sure the, the distance is correct to keep the line uh, taut enough. But... um. The static from Paul and Marissa's radio 
causes trouble, cuts in on the frequency because they wanted to listen to what's going on so they could know what's going on. Now, I I didn't mention their disability. I, I, maybe I should have. The, the disability is that they uh, they can't speak. Neither of them can speak. They do. They are able to hear, which is why they brought the radio. And then they talk to each other using sign language, or as they call it here, hand alphabet which is an accurate description of what they are using if they are just spelling words. Um, we'll get into that maybe later on. But uh, slowly everyone starts realizing there is a problem. Blaze realizes something is wrong when she loses control of the drone blimp and loses communication. You know, it's c- communication is cutting in and out. Fly realizes it when the line goes slack and he starts falling, and he has he's having to grab onto the line and stuff. Paul and Marissa realize it when they see everything start to go bad, and then everyone else is just watching, trying to figure out what's going on. Every single other character just doesn't matter really in this. Um, you know, Fly's team is is running around. Harmony White is here reporting about things, but um, really all that matters is what's going on up above the ground. There is really nothing that I could see that was going on on the ground that actually pushed anything forward. Uh, for any characters, not that this is not this is a, a real you know paragon of of character development, but um, uh, Blaze is a quick thinker because things are out of control with the drone. It's going to pull her own blimp out of control, so she um, pours on the speed, snaps the line because she doesn't want to cause a double disaster. It's just going to be a single disaster if if something's going to happen with that drone. And maybe they can get control of it again, but she's she she can't do anything if she gets pulled down with it. And Human Fly, he he's right there with her. He knows exactly what she's thinking. And he's hanging on to the end of the rope that is still connected to the drone blimp. And as he's climbing up, he sees the kids with their radio, realizes what's happening and everything, but um, you know, uh, out of control blimps they're going to crash. And so that does uh, beg a pretty significant question. Some may call it a plot hole, but why in the world did they think it would be wise to do this stunt with an unmanned drone? I mean, I can understand potentially that you have Blaze being able to control both of them to make sure that they're both doing exactly what they're supposed to do. I could take that, uh, but then there's no reason to not have someone in the other blimp there is absolutely no reason to not have someone there in case something goes wrong because what happened well something goes wrong terribly wrong it's empty it's a drone blimp and so these kids are able to get on and by the way the reason they're going there is because they are um currently orphans in a home that's not good and so they are actually running away to try to get to los angeles where their aunt lives and if they can get there they can live with their aunt and everything will be fine for them uh, so they have good motivation. I mean, as far as the story goes, I don't know the story creation, but I'm imagining potentially you have one of two situations. One is Bill Mantlo is told, hey, let's do a story where Human Fly is walking a tightrope between two blimps. Can you give us a story from that? Or Bill Mantlo is just trying to imagine you know crazy stunts, and that's what he comes up with. Two blimps, he's on a tightrope. Uh, what... You know, we could cause trouble by having the blimps be, you know, threatened to be crashing into buildings or something like that, and they have to stop it. But why would they crash? And I could see the thought processes here. Um, it also just doesn't really work for me <laughs> yet, especially the whole transistor radio causing all this havoc to happen. Uh, so the line has broken. Um, 
Blaze is okay. Blaze is trying to figure out what she can do to get the, the blimp under control. She can't really do much. Um, I'm still questioning the wisdom of, of all the, you know, not having a pilot over there, but you still have human fly. Human fly potentially could, you know, climb the rope, but he falls. I mean, there's all sorts of problems because they're running real low in the city here. And uh, the transistor radio, when the kids realize what's going on, it actually gets knocked out of reach. So they can't turn it off, even though they're hearing chatter on the radio saying that's what's happened is that there's some interference and they figure out it's, it's us that's caused the interference. And of course, they can't pick up the radio and talk and tell anyone what's going on. So anyway, Fly uses what I have finally determined is his human flies super power. And, uh, you know, they say he's just a normal guy, a stuntman. He's not. He's not. He has an uncanny ability. And his uncanny ability is to use questionable comic book physics. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of superheroes are able to use questionable comic book physics. But that is all Human Fly has in his arsenal of powers. And so in this case, he uses a flagpole that's sticking off the side of the building to not only stop himself from plummeting to his death, but also to spring him right back up to the door of the drone blimp's gondola. And so he is, of course, not dead. He is able to save the day by using questionable comic book physics. And, you know, questionable comic book physics, like I said, it happens all the time. I'm even guilty myself of potentially writing some questionable comic book physics in some of my books. I'm just saying sometimes it sticks out. And this is one of those times for me. And that it almost makes me want to say, OK, so why am I even going on this ride if I'm not going to be able to accept the things that I'm going to be seeing on the ride? And part of it is. I've gone this far, 14 issues. Why stop now? And part of it is there is potential. And Bill Mantlo has used the human fly and reached some pretty decent potential with him in a couple stories. And so I'm still enjoying when I come across that. But more often than not, you know, this is coming off on the side of not great and not so horrible that I'm, well, I am laughing at it. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong there, but, um, he gets up to the gondola and he communicates with Paul and Marissa using the hand alphabet. <laughs> okay, so which uh, Fly learned the hand alphabet in the hospital when he was you know, had his accident in North Carolina or whatever it was. Uh, he learned the hand alphabet and it's a good thing too. It's very convenient. He's able to talk with them as he grabs the controls and time to stop the balloon from hitting anything, you know, a building or something in New York. And we have a happy ending. The kids, we find out. Uh, or Human Fly f finds out that they were trying to get to their aunt in, in Los Angeles because th they're orphans, and he's going to make sure that it happens. He's going to make sure that they get there. And he has also learned a lesson. Now, it's not the lesson I would have chosen for him. The lesson I would have chosen for him was, you know, don't have a machine that's unmanned that could have problems, which is basically every single machine that, you know, like this is a blimp. And a blimp has to rely on a lot of different factors as far as trying to control it and stuff. Um, it's just and, and then the person who's controlling it anyway, uh, <laughs> it's it's not the greatest setup, but it gets them where they want to go. And, you know, he saves the day. Uh, but the lesson he has learned is that he should always go back and check a stunt one more time for unforeseen occurrences, because even the human fly can become a little too sure of himself. 
And, you know, Human Fly, it's good that he's learned a lesson. This is character development, right? And uh, he should have learned this lesson long before as a stuntman, you know, who has stunts that do go wrong. I mean, it's cool. I just recently watched a, a um, documentary about Evil Knievel, and all the Evil Knievel stuff was cool. Now, it was uh, Johnny Knoxville, I think is the guy's name, who was a, one of the hosts and producer on it and inserts himself in it a little bit too much. And that part I really didn't care for. But when they're actually showing the Evil Knievel stuff, talking about the Evil Knievel stuff, uh, this guy... Evil Knievel, I mean, his, he was a stuntman, but he was basically able to crash really well. That's what he was good at. He was able to crash. He crashed all the time. He broke bones all the time. And, but even he would like double check, but not every time. And so like his most famous stunt where he's going to do the rocket bike over the canyon and uh, the, the chute deploys too early. Well, that would have been something that some people say a double check would have found. Some people say he did it on purpose. So he actually didn't crash on the other side. He was intentionally going to deploy the chute uh, so that he didn't, so he could land softly at the bottom of the canyon. And then some people say it was a design flaw. But whatever side you fall on with that, um, that was just another example of a stunt going wrong. Uh, Evil Knievel's real talent, I guess, was not just crashing well, but able to walk away from it and he he was good at what he did and he caught everyone's imagination i mean he he caught human fly's imagination human fly was doing what he was doing as a real stuntman by putting on the mask and putting on the costume and you know creating all this mystery because he's trying to get the attention that would be going to people like evil knievel now evil knievel uh he had a fall from grace um he beat up the man who wrote an unauthorized biography that was the man claimed that it actually was authorized, but Evil Knievel read it, hated it, and literally uh, he was—he came out of the hospital. He still had like a broken collarbone or something and beat the guy up with a baseball bat. It was just a, a mess, and that just destroyed all of the potential uh, television deals, toy deals. Not, not potential toy deals. I mean, that was real toy deals that it destroyed. I mean, it was that was basically the end for him as far as his the majority of his popularity. Although I was into Evil Knievel even after. I mean, when I got into Evil Knievel, he was done with his career, but we were just still aware of him and aware of the things that he did. And we we were into it. Human Fly here. I mean, that's why he's doing what he's doing. Is uh, he's still riding that wave of stuntmen? You know, back in that that you know late seventies era and and so um yeah you you check twice though i mean that's what you do that's what you do especially if an unmanned ship that's going to be flying over a city so uh the hand alphabet i did look to see you know how much uh the the hand alphabet might have been used back in in the 70s and actually i was surprised how far back the hand alphabet goes um i did i did study american sign language for a little while and that's what makes me wonder you know they call it the hand alphabet. That feels like someone talking about it that doesn't really know about it or only knows about the hand alphabet. And these kids, I would have thought, you know, at their age that they might have learned more than just the alphabet. But then again, maybe not. It's possible that wherever they were or wherever they were growing up, um, the people who were having to you know, teach them, maybe they didn't know or weren't aware of a broader language for people who use their hands uh, for their speech. And so it, there, what, what didn't ring true for me is now kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm rethinking that maybe that, maybe that would be okay to, 
or uh, in the context of of this time period. Um, <clears throat> so that, that makes their story maybe even a little more tragic and they didn't have that support of the, the deaf community because they're not deaf, they're, they're mute, but they didn't have uh, a community support system to teach them actual American Sign Language. And they're, they're just using you know, the alphabet to spell these words. And so I guess, I guess I can live with that. Um, I, I am kind of bothered that everything, every kid has to be affected by some sort of disability. You know, it's just all over. It's a thing for human fly, and I guess we just run with it. There is no extra material. There's no letters page. There's no fly pages, I should say. I know they've been promising a photo spread from when he visited the Marvel offices. That is not here, not yet. I don't know when that is going to happen. Uh, and there's no like special message from the human fly. Uh, and I don't know how many more issues we have left with the human fly. That's something I have not looked ahead. And I, I know that there's not a whole lot. I think we're past the back end of that. Um, but... I don't know when this will end, and so I don't know if this is just because they they know the writing is on the wall. He failed that exper that, that experiment. He failed that uh, stunt in Montreal where he was going to leap over all those buses and everything. And he's talking about making a comeback. He's talking about a music career, but what is really going to happen with him? I I, I don't know what's happening here. Uh, the other thing I would notice here: there's no villain, and so they're still sticking with not just a street level kind of thing that he's dealing with or you know lesser powered villains that he's dealing with but for the most part they're dealing with real people real in quotes who are having you know getting into trouble and and so you know there's not super spies in every issue and there's you know like in the the snowmobile episode there was a, a bear that was threatening a kid you know and, and his dad and um in this one, it's two kids who get into a spot where they get into trouble rather than they get into a spot where they're in trouble because they're near a bad guy or something like that. But I'd also argue there's not a lot of excitement, too. Uh, there's there's plenty you could do with this, but there's not enough cheese for me to really like it. And there's not enough uh, actual excitement for me to really like it. And it's not so bad. It's good, as I, I talked about before. Um, and the artwork is you know it's frank robbins he's doing fine he's he doesn't have to worry about doing man from atlantis anymore i had trouble with his artwork for man from atlantis as well because of some of the poses he would do and the same thing here the poses of the characters and just the way that they there's there's a a real attempt to give them um energy and and motion uh but even when someone is just standing still he's trying to give them energy and motion it feels like and human fly moves like uh, he's a ballet contortionist. I don't know. And then the other thing that kind of bugged me with this was that there was from the artwork anyways, that there was some of the page layout had arrows. So you would know which panel to go to. And I always have a problem with that. I think that if you're going to draw a page, you either need to, if you're going to have some sort of weird layout in the layout, there needs to be something in the layout itself, maybe wider uh, gutters between panels. So you're looking you know, so the thinner gutter, you know, you look from one panel to the next that has the thinner gutter and there's a wider um, gap between other panels. So you can kind of follow that and it forms a line or something like that. The arrow thing is, is a cheat and it kind of disrupts story for me whenever I come into a situation where the artwork is not doing its job and something else has to step in and do the job for it. And I just don't like page layouts where you have to use arrows. Uh, unless that was going to be your style 
unless that was going to be on every page. And then it becomes like punctuation. And you don't pay attention to commas and periods. You don't pay attention to the word the when you're reading. You don't pay attention to the word said when you're reading. That's why it's okay when you're a writer and you're, you're writing a novel or something. It's okay to use the word said over and over and over again. You don't want to you know totally overuse it. But you're not going to run into a lot of problem with that because people just they, they, gla- they glance over it. it. It becomes a sight word where they don't even have to read it. It's just there and they understand what it is. It's punctuation. And so, yeah, if the whole style of the book were done in, the, in that way where, you know, there's arrows pointing from one panel to another, maybe. But um, I just feel like that's that's poor design, in, in my opinion, when you have to um, add things, extra things to to tell the eye where to go. So that's just that's just me. Uh, overall, I mean, this is a, a nice middling human fly issue. Uh, you know, thirty five cents. It's still only thirty five cents. Uh, that's that's not a bad deal. You're getting seventeen pages of story, so you're you're paying two cents per page and one cent for the cover. That's a it's a deal. It's a deal. Now I paid more for that. If you consider inflation, when you're going back in time in a time machine. Because, of course, it's a time machine that I'm collecting these from and not a comic book convention dollar bin, which is the truth. That's where I found most of these human fly issues was I just happened upon them. And uh, I might have told this story before, but I was I just happened upon them. I wasn't even thinking human fly as a licensed book. But sure enough, when I saw them at the convention, I was already looking for Indiana Jones and looking for some of these other things that I needed to fill holes. And I thought human fly. I'm grabbing it. I'm going for it. So I did. And generally speaking, glad I did. But that for the most part, it's it's more of a historical curiosity for me and a lot less of a actual enjoyment for me. Now, I am curious about next issue because the only thing that this gives us as far in the way of editorial uh, is that there is a blurb at the bottom of the last page that says next danger in the District of Columbia as the human fly faces war in Washington. I have no idea what that story is going to be about. It is quite possible that story will not be great, but I am very, very curious where this is going to go. But for now, I'm going to be moving on to the next segment, which is going to be Godzilla. We'll come back to human fly when we get into the next month. Right now, we're going to look at Godzilla's issue from October cover date, 1978. And, uh, Again, I'm not sure what to expect from Godzilla right now. I can't remember what I read last. The last thing I read with Godzilla was. I think we just finished up that trilogy. I think we're moving into something new. I hope you join me for that in the next Marvel Cosmic Comic episode. And uh, I want to thank you for listening and just say to you, first of all, always double check your stunt. Make sure there's no stowaway orphans who are trying to get across the country to their aunt. And also, thanks for listening. Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time.
Next episode, Stampede Godzilla issue number 15. My name is Pat, and I'm the host of a new podcast called The Longbox Crusade. A while back, my wife said to me, Why do you keep buying more comics? I bet you have not even read all the comics you have already. Well, she's right, but let's keep that between you and me. So I took her up on the challenge to read them all. I decided to read my collection of comic books in chronological order by the issue's cover dates. I wanted to relive their adventures and bring back the memories I had of my childhood in the late 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. My collection has been stashed away in over 20 plus long boxes in the basement. I'll leave it up to your imagination as to why I cannot have them on display upstairs, but that's a different story. The Longbox Crusade podcast will be of recaps and reviews of the issues in my collection in a fun and friendly way. You can find the podcast at longboxcrusade.com. I hope you will join me on this crusade to read them all.